text for this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 32. 24-32. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection... It is plain that he is accepted to put all things expect, accepted to put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Oops, sorry. As you can see, I'm not prepared either because I wasn't <laughs> expecting to be but So uh, apologize for that, but um, Pastor Seuss, bring us a word. I know you're, um, you're on your bulletin, the, the, the title of the message is Courage um, from Gospel Hope, but, um, well, okay, well, actually, let, let me back up. Some of you are probably wondering, why is he wearing a tie <laughs> and a purple shirt? And um, because I'm sure none of you are so shallow, you don't think about these things, but some of you, I'm sure you do think about these things. I'm wearing a tie, I don't usually wear a tie, um, but I'm wearing a tie because I wanted to honor my grandfather. <laughs> Um, some of you know that my grandfather passed away about two and a half um, weeks ago. And I thought, you know, it, it, he was my mother's father. He's my maternal grandfather. I thought this is today's Mother's Day. I, I get to honor both my mother and her father. And um, so after the funeral, um, all the aunts and uncles and cousins, we were over at my grandfather's apartment and we were cleaning up his apartment and various people were like, I want that futon. I want that picture frame. You know, um, you know people are claiming different things. And um, I claimed this shirt. This is his shirt. <laughs> and it happens to fit me. <laughs> and it's a nice shirt. It's like a Calvin Klein shirt. I said, oh, he, he's like, when did my grandfather actually, somebody, he must, somebody must have gifted this to him because he has no idea what, who Calvin Klein is. Um, and so I said, oh, it's a nice shirt and it fits me. And this is also his tie. <laughs> I was like, oh, so um, I, know, I know that every time I wear this shirt and wear this tie, I, I will remember him. And so I wanted to honor him today by, by wearing this. And um, so that's what that is. Okay. Um, let me get into today's passage. Um, now, this verse, uh, I, I said, I said that the, the, the message is courage from gospel hope. And... Um, that is what I was originally planning to preach on because these verses about, you know, I, I face beasts at De um, Ephesus. I die every day. I face dangers. That's what the passage is about. That if you have resurrection hope, you can face the most dangerous and fearful things in life. And, but, um, and I was going to preach on that today, but 
all, for the last, for literally for weeks since we started this series, I've been, um, been thinking about this verse 29. And um, this verse 29, I'll, I'll read it in just a moment, but is, is a weird verse. It is a very difficult verse to understand. And I, I've been wrestling with this question. Um, what should I do with this verse? I literally have been thinking about this for weeks, including all this week. And um, the reason it is, it's difficult is because no, nobody quite knows what it means, hmm. Hmm. Um, including me, okay? And um, so uh, I, I could do the, the usual preacher's thing, which is to skip it. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I'd say. I don't know if you know that. Because, <laughs> um, you know, if you listen to me preach, of course I, I care about what's said in the Bible. But, you know, I don't preach everything out of the Bible. I don't hit every verse because not, they're not all equally important. And you have, to, you have to choose. You have to select what you're going to talk about. And so that would have been the easy thing to just, just skip it. But then I was thinking, you know, about maybe a third of the people go, what the, what the heck does that weird verse mean about baptism on behalf of the, well, what does that mean, right? And then a third of you going, what does that mean? And then the first third would be, they'd want to know, and then maybe you'd ask me after service or send me an email, and then... In private, I tell you, great, okay? And then there's a third, like, what does that mean? But, but you know, by the time you're eating lunch today, you'll, you'll have all forgotten about it, okay? And so it won't matter to you anymore after, you know, in a couple hours. Um, but then there's another third of you going, you know, you don't even know that that's a difficult verse, so it doesn't bother you. <laughs> and what you don't know, it, don't, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother you, so that's it, you know? But, um, and I know that, but... You know, while I was prayerfully uh, meditating on what to preach, um, I mean, literally for weeks, I, I just got this gnawing sense, and I think it's from the Lord. N- normally, what I would do is just skip it. <laughs> just go, why go into, like, some difficult thing that's just going to confuse people? Let's, like, stay on the main track. That's what I normally like to do. The main portion of this chapter is about the hope of resurrection. That's what I want to preach on. And so, but today I'm going to go off that topic to address this one verse. And um, I thought it would be helpful because I know that it could cause a lot of confusion. And there's a lot of, um, I don't know how you want to put it, cynicism, a lot of doubt and prejudices today that there are, the Bible is filled with all these verses that nobody knows what they mean and people just kind of just fling their opinions out there and that's all religion is. It's just a bunch of people with their you know, saying whatever their opinions, and that's what interpretations are. It's just opinions. That's not true. And um, I thought what I'd do today is, in a sense, take a time out from the subject matter of resurrection and help us wrestle with this one difficult verse, which I've already told you, I don't really know what it means. (laughs) Okay? And quite frankly, I don't know if anybody really knows what it means. Um, It's not such an important verse, it's not going to change our life. <laughs> I, honestly, it's so, in one sense, it's so not important that the churches don't even fight over it. I mean, you know there's different denominations. As far as I know, nobody fights over this verse, but at the same time, nobody knows what it means. <laughs> and so what I want to do today is uh, I want to help you to, I'm going to give you a basic lesson in how to read and interpret the Bible and deal with difficult verses. And we'll use this as an example. And I hope this will help you. And um, I hope that some of the things I teach you today will also may help if, if you don't believe in Jesus today. 
Uh, maybe it'll help you to see that some of the preconceptions you have about the Bible maybe you know are mistaken, or that um, if you are a Christian and you feel you, you never feel that you know how to handle the Bible, you don't have any. Um, that today I'll give you some tools, and I'll encourage you to go to the Scriptures. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, in three parts, part one, I'll give you uh, my take on this difficult verse, okay? My take on a difficult verse. <laughs> part two, um, two, two principles about reading the Bible. Two principles about reading the Bible. And then part three, um, I'll give you five principles on Bible interpretation, okay? And I hope that that will really help you today. So um, let's, before we you know, I get to, I, haven't, I have a PowerPoint, I usually do that, but because um, I'm going to throw a bunch of these principles out there, it'll be helpful for you to see it. Um, but just, if you don't remember this first part, <laughs> or I, I, I'm going to give you a take on, so we're just going to focus on this verse 29. It's in the middle of a very important passage, and that's why I wanted you to see the, the, the flow of the argument. Because, this whole chapter is about, there is a set of people in this Christian community. That, that, I mean, it's weird to think that you can be Christian and doubt that there's a resurrection. But some people seem to think that there's a lot of useful things about Christianity. It gives you morality, it gives you a community, etc. Okay? This whole chapter is to let you know that if you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't have to squat. In fact, you're just a really dumb person with no hope. But if you do have the resurrection, it changes everything. And this verse is a, is, a, is a shift in the flow of the argument. And he goes on to say this thing. Um, uh, let, me, let me get to it. Verse 29. Verse 29. Otherwise, you know, if, if Christ has not put every, all things under suggestion, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? <laughs> if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? So, um, let's unpack this. What in the world does it mean to be baptized in behalf of the dead? What is that? Okay. And um, what I'm going to offer you, uh, I, I studied this very carefully, and I, I looked at some pretty hardcore uh, biblical scholars. And um, just to give you one example, one very, one really top-notch New Testament scholar that I highly respect, um, he, in his commentary, he said there's, at least 17 possible interpretations. That's a lot. Okay? Usually there's like three <laughs> or maybe four. Okay? And you can kind of eliminate one or two of them right away. There's like four and you can two, eliminate two of them pretty easily. But this guy said there's 17 and there's not a consensus. I'm going to offer you four. Okay? Four possible readings and, um, and so you can see, how does somebody who's seasoned in the knowledge of the Bible start to deal with a difficult passage? And just by me doing this, hopefully it'll help you to um, see what it looks like, okay? And then you go, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You can do this. What I'm going to do now, you can do this. It's not just a pastor who can do this. And that's why I, I want to teach you this. Because I want to encourage all of you that you can do something like this. Maybe you won't quite do it quite to the level I can do it, but it's fine. You can do this. So, um, first possibility. Baptism on behalf of the dead means being baptized on behalf of someone who's not a believer, but they died. <laughs> okay? That's what some people think it means. That, when, so that you can be baptized on behalf of somebody who didn't believe in Jesus, but they died, but now let's get baptized for them. Okay, let me tell you, this is wrong. <laughs> you know how I know this is wrong? 
because it would pretty much, you could pretty much throw out the rest of the Bible. It vastly, it would disagree with deep core teachings of the Bible. Now, some people would say, some people who don't believe in Jesus or don't believe in the Bible would just say, well, see, there you go. The Bible's full of all kinds of contradictory things, and you don't want to admit that the Bible is full of contradictions. It's not some kind of infallible book. It's an incoherent and um, in, incoherent book with lots of contradictory things. And here's an example of something that contradicts the rest of the Bible, and you just don't want to admit it, that it doesn't cohere with the Bible, but you just don't want to admit that because you're a Christian and you're biased about that. There are some people who think that. And you know what? I can understand why somebody might think that. But that's not true. And let me just give you maybe a less spiritual reason why that's not true. Because the guy who wrote this letter... <laughs> does not believe that. In fact, he teaches exactly the opposite in this letter. So that can't be true. The idea that you can be baptized on behalf of some unbelieving person who passed away and somehow is supposed to help them. That's, baptism is a sign and seal that you believe in Jesus and have received him into your life and you unite to him in all that he's done for us. He's died for our, in our place. He's given us new life. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us all his inheritance. He's given us adoption as, as, uh, as a son like him. All these things and more. And so that's what baptism is. And it's something that's from you, your faith. You can't do this for somebody else who doesn't believe. Okay, so um, that's all clear from the Bible. Okay, so that possibility number one. That's out. Number two, some people think that it means getting baptized on behalf of someone who is a believer... <laughs> who is a believer, but somehow they passed away before they got baptized. Okay? So lots of people think that. So, by the way, if you are a believer and you pass away before you get baptized, you're still saved. You go to heaven. Okay? You get to know Jesus. It's because it's faith that saves. It's not the act of baptism. But baptism is like the way to seal the deal. I mean, we need ceremonies. It's, it seals the covenant. I mean, this is why we do things like this. This is why we have vows. It's not just about you. It's we seal the deep meaning of our identity into the new community that we belong to. That's what marriage is. It's a community of new community of two. This is what baptism is. So can you be baptized for someone who is a believer, <laughs> but they somehow died before they, well, I think this is a little more plausible. The first one you can just completely reject out of bounds. Um, there is actually historical precedence. Um, in, in the ancient Christian world, some people, they got, they got into this unbiblical practice of um, delaying their baptism. So they would believe in Jesus. I definitely believe. They would go to church. They would follow Jesus. They would believe in the Bible. But somehow there was this idea that if you sinned after you got baptized, somehow you were in trouble. Um, but the, the, the idea started coming around the church. So people started to delay their baptisms till they were close to death. Now, you can see how that could cause a problem. What if all of a sudden then, you know, you, you get into a chariot accident or something like that and get run over by a horse and then you're dead and, you, you know, you didn't get baptized and you thought you were going to get to do this when you were an old person, okay? Um, but, you know, the, the, this, but, so this would happen. But let me tell you why I don't think this is true. One is this, did, this practice has happened in the early church, but maybe like the year 300 or 400. This was, this was written more like the year 50. And they did not have this practice in the first century. So just from history, that's not plausible. But also from theology, it's not plausible. And it's not likely that Paul would commend such a thing because it seems to undermine a lot of baptism teaching. So I don't think that's 
it either, okay? Second one. Um, the third possibility is that it's a baptism on behalf of the dead. The dead means those who are spiritually dead. Okay? I think this is a really weak reading because here it's talking about resurrection. <laughs> resurrection is about like dead, dead. I mean, not just like spiritually dead, like, you know, like there are lots of people around who are spiritual, they don't know Jesus, but they're not dead, dead yet, fully dead, they're physically, soul, everything dead. So I think this is sort of like ripping that word dead and um, taking it out of context. And I just find that, even from just sort of like freshman year English, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fly, okay? So some people want to make that because they know that this verse seems contradictory to the other portions of the Bible, and they're trying to make it fit. So what's the fourth one? The fourth one, as you can, you can guess, is the one that I want to think is, I think, the most plausible reading. And um, uh, the, the scholar that I, I'm citing, his name is Anthony Thistleton. He's one of the best New Testament scholars in the world. And um, he gave this very extensive, very extensive discussion of this verse that I read, you know, that I had so fun, not fun reading, for your sake, okay? And um, he came to this conclusion, and he thinks this is the most plausible understanding. That word, on behalf of, the, that's the, the, the um, English Standard Version translators took the Greek word there is huper. That's the, 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 the preposition huper. And they translate on behalf of, because that's a common understanding of huper. But you guys know that, if, that prepositions can have a range of meaning. <laughs> um, for, for example, for, for, I gave the present for him, <laughs> all right? I, I, I went to church for Jesus. I mean, those, those different fours are two different meanings. You get it? Or of. If you're, if you're a fluent English speaker, something like for, you don't even think about it because you just know all the different usage of the word for. You don't understand that in the dictionary, for has different, different meanings. You just flip back and forth between all those usages. But if you're not a non-native English speaker, the word, the, that simple little word for or of, that's, a, that's not easy. And that word, huper, that's not easy either. It's got a, a multiple range of meanings. And um, Anthony Thistleton argues it shouldn't be, I would baptize on behalf of, but he thinks it should be something like, I would baptize for the sake of <laughs> the dead, for the sake of the dead, or concerning the dead. And I think that's a defensible reading. And what he means by that is, I was I, being to be baptized for the sake of because some people would want to get baptized because, of course, they want to be united to Christ and be with God forever. But it's not just with Christ. You also want to be united with all those whom you love, who know Jesus, and have already passed away, right? Isn't I, I, I share with you about my grandfather passing away. I'm telling you, one of the very first people I want to see when I get to be with Jesus I hope this doesn't sound blasphemous. Maybe the first person I want to see is not Jesus. <laughs> first person I want to see is my grandmother. <laughs> and if I'm baptized, I'm united to Christ, which also means I'm united to all those who are alive in Christ. <laughs> so I want to be baptized for the sake of those who have died, who are in Christ, like my grandmother. Right? And so Thistleton thinks that's the best reading. And you know what? It's a plausible reading. It makes sense with scripture. It makes sense to the gospel. It makes sense in the context. But let me, let me, let me, let me, let me um, tell you something. I'm still not sure if I'm convinced. <laughs> okay? I, I, as, I, I'm kind of a picky scholar. 
And you know, there's something inside of me as a scholar going, yeah, maybe, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then I don't. I think that that one is the most plausible reading that I know of. And, but I'm still not sure. And you know what? It's okay. Isn't that weird? I'm telling you, it's okay. And that's what I want to get at today. How do you read and interpret the Bible? And how do you especially handle these difficult verses? And so let's right now get to um, part two, okay? Now let's turn this on here. So, two key principles about Bible reading. Now before I go over these principles, let me just say something. Um, there is a prejudice out there that the Bible is filled with verses like this. And there's all kinds of disagreement about people. And there isn't some kind of like solid, objective, real meaning in the Bible that people all get. Let me tell you something. That is just flat out false. <laughs> that is just flat out false. Um, the Bible is very coherent. And all kinds of people have read, including non-Christians. They read the Bible and say, okay, this part I don't understand. This part's really weird. But you know what? Yeah, there is a coherent message throughout the whole Bible, and it does. It, it, and I can see why Christians think that this is the meaning. I don't buy it, but I can see that that is the meaning, and that's what they believe, and I can see why that's why they believe it. And a lot of people think that because there are lots of different denominations and churches disagree with each other on different portions of Scripture, they think it's just like a total crazy free-for-all. The whole Bible is filled with these kinds of verses, and... And biblical interpretation is just some purely subjective thing. This, these people just get in and they just give their opinion and they just fight against other people's opinion. And if that's all it is. It's just power and power fighting against other people's power. And that's what, and that's all Christianity is. And that's not true. That's simply not true. Um, if you go to another church, I'll challenge you to do this. And I've personally experienced this throughout my life. If you go to another church, a different denomination, <laughs> in a different country, maybe in a whole different culture, and then they read the Bible to you and you hear what they teach, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to go, that makes sense. That's what's in the Bible. Yeah, I believe that. You know what you're going to find out? That Christians all around the world and even across time, they largely agree. You know why they largely agree? Because they understand what the Bible says. Because the Bible's not incoherent. Because, and they know that the vast majority of the Bible can be understood especially the core meaning of the Bible. And so there is this thing that um, CS, and I'm not talking about Christians largely agree. They only agree on 50% of the, no, they don't agree only on 50% of the Bible. They agree on something more like 90% of the Bible, 80, 90% of the Bible and what it teaches. I'm not kidding. Genuine people who know Jesus, uh, you can walk right into a Pentecostal church on the Native American reservation like I had, listen to what they preach. Their music is a little odd. And some of their vocabulary is a little odd. And some of their practices are a little bit like not what I'm used to. But guess what? It's what the Bible teaches. Like, yep. That's the way it is. And you can experience that too. C.S. Lewis had a term for this. He called it mere Christianity. And there is such a thing. It's absolutely real. Okay? So let's get into these uh, principles. First principle this is just about reading the Bible, not about interpretation, but just the first one. The central meaning of the Bible is basically understandable without scholarly expertise. Hmm. Did you know that? A lot of people think, oh, I can't understand the Bible. I'll just let, let, let Susan explain it to me. Okay? Um, let, let, I wanna, this first thing I want to say to you is to push back against that. 
You know, the, the whole Reformation was a fight over this. <laughs> the Catholic Church thought, we can't let the masses read the Bible. They're too dumb to read the Bible. <laughs> they can't understand. Or all these different interpretations will come out and the unity of the church will split apart. They're wrong. <laughs> They're wrong. Um, and this, the, the technical term for this basic teaching is uh, perspicuity. I know that's like, oh, okay, that sounds like a big vocabulary word. That's what the theologians mean, that the Bible is basically clear in its central meaning. <laughs> It's basically clear in its central meaning. And let me offer you a quote here, okay? This is from Westminster Confession of Faith. It's, it's a very, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good doctrinal standard. It's from 17th century, from the best Bible scholars and teachers of the time. And they laid out what is taught in the Bible and the standards of like doctrine and teaching from the Bible. And here's, this is a, from chapter 1.7. And here's how they put it. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves. No duh, right? <laughs> Nor alike clear unto all. Okay, I think we all know that. But here's what they go on to say. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other. And here's the, here's the part that I want you to get. That not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of ordinary means, may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. You know what a due use of ordinary means is? Read the Bible carefully and honestly. That's what a due use of ordinary means. Study it. Study it with some real open-minded honesty. And so that's another thing, too. Sometimes people hear something from a pastor, and then they read the Bible, and they're like, I don't think that's what my pastor said. And they're like, oh, well, I must be wrong. <laughs> I'm sure my pastor knows. And so, you know what? Don't do that. <laughs> if you read something that the Bible says, and you think that it contradicts what the pastor says, you know what you should do? Question your pastor. <laughs> that's what you should do. You should find out what does it actually say? What does it mean? And you can do that. <laughs> so I want to encourage you, this is a very powerful encouragement. The Bible's your book. It's not my book. It's not just my book, the pastor's book or the priest's book or the church, the institutional church's book. God wrote it for you. Okay, he wrote it for you. He wanted to speak to you. Let's go to the second principle. The Bible is a spiritual book, and the help of the Holy Spirit is needed to truly understand it. Now, let me give you a, this is this is... This is explicitly said straight out of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 14. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. The natural person, that is the person without the Holy Spirit, without spiritual, without spiritual insight. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. That's dumb to him. It's foolish to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, let me say a couple things about this. Number one, if you're a Christian, you're, you're, well, yeah, we need the Holy Spirit to understand the Bible. And by the way, 
when I preach something from the scripture, you will go, oh, thank you, Su Sung. That really helped me understand it because I didn't understand that. And that's good. You should be grateful to your pastor if he enlightens something for you. But you know who really taught you? The spirit. This dumb person up here talked. <laughs> you heard the meaning and the Holy Spirit lit it up for you. And now you know what God's word is. The spirit lit it for you. Really, that's, that's what's going on. Sometimes you can, you need the, sometimes the Spirit helps through the church, through other people inside the church. But really, whenever you know, understand anything of the Word of God, God opened it up for you. And, there are, and then there's, so there's a lot of people who go like, well, I don't know the Holy Spirit. I don't believe in Jesus. And I don't know if I have the Holy Spirit. So that means I can't understand the Bible. Is that why I can't understand the Bible? Come on. That seems like some kind of like cheap religion-y thing to say. You guys already believe in the Bible. You guys say you have the Holy Spirit. And then you guys agree on this thing. And then you, now you say God helped you by the Holy Spirit. And like you have to be in this little in club to get the Bible, right? Oh, gosh. That just sounds like this little narrow-minded. It sounds like a tautological argument, doesn't it? Let me tell you something. When, when I was a teenager, that's exactly what I thought it was. <laughs> when I first heard um, uh, my Bible teacher say, you need the Holy Spirit teacher, I'm thinking like, yeah, but who has the Holy Spirit? <laughs> it's not like you can see. So it seems like Christians believe in something, and then they go around and say they have the Holy Spirit. But you need the Holy Spirit to believe this thing. You believe this thing, you have the Holy Spirit. I mean, doesn't that seem circular? You have to be in this little in, in club. Now let me offer you something like, let me back up the argument a little bit. That's not, what, that's not what the Bible means. That's not what this passage is saying. If you want to know anybody, what is the Bible? The Bible is a message of words from a person to a person. It's not like, you know, it, you know like your, your chemistry textbook in college? That, the, your, your, was your chemistry professor who wrote that, nerdy guy who wrote that book, was that person trying to really speak to you? Obviously not, because they're really bad writers, right? But this is personal Communication. A very personal God is trying to speak to you person to person. And if you want to know a person, and you can hear their words, but if you don't know their spirit and you don't get their spirit, you won't understand the words. That's just fact. That's how it works. This is how real person to person interaction communication actually happens. So just give you an example. As your pastor might say something like, give your money generously, radically to all kinds of people. And, some of you, and so somebody's sitting there going, well, that's Husan guy. He must be some kind of communist. <laughs> because that's what communists believe, right? <laughs> so I heard what he said. Money should be given to all kinds of people. That's communist doctrine. He's some kind of crazy communist. Now, some of you who know me would, would listen to that and go, you're smoking dope, dude. That's crazy talk. <laughs> you know why? Because I know Susan. <laughs> I know his spirit. <laughs> There's no way that when he says this thing about radical generosity, it has nothing to do with communism at all, right? And that is in all kinds of different ways. There's lots of ways that we say words to each other and then they're misunderstood because we're not catching the spirit of what that person is getting. It happens all the time. It causes fights in marriages. <laughs> you know, it causes misunderstanding between friends. Why? Because you can't just hear words. In order to get a person, you must get their spirit. And that's true with God, too. That's true with God, too. And so you need the Holy Spirit to help you. Okay? So those two things. You can understand the Bible, but you do need help. And that help is available from God himself, the Holy Spirit. Okay? Hmm. Let's go to um, five principles for Bible interpretation. 
but now I, I can go through this relatively briefly. But I want to say something about this. Um, obviously, I cannot, okay, the, the, the systematic interpretation of the Bible is called hermeneutics. I can't give you a whole hermeneutics class in one Sunday message, obviously. But here's what I can, what I can say to you. If you take in all these principles and practice them, they're very powerful. They're very, very powerful. And you can begin to really understand the Bible. And if you can understand the Bible, guess what? You're hearing from God. You're knowing God. Not just knowing about God. You're knowing Him. I mean, imagine if LeBron James wrote a book to you so that you can get to know LeBron. First, you would have to know something of his spirit. And if you know of his spirit, then it would help you to understand the book, right? But it's not just a book about him. It's a book to know him. You know what the Bible is? That's what the Bible is. The Bible is not just a history book. It's not just, it's not just a doctrine book. It's not an advice book. It's not a book just about money or sex or, or creation or heaven or hell. And it's not just about the supernatural. It's not just about God. You need to know all these things to really know God. But really, it's ultimately so you can know Him. You understand? So let's get into these principles. First one, Scripture interprets scripture. So what does that mean? Read and understand scripture supremely in light of other passages of scripture. <laughs> That's what it means. The Bible is God's word, and as such, we believe that it was inspired by him and that it is inerrant because, well, God's God doesn't make mistakes when he's trying to convey who he is. And he conveys who he is through word. And if you want to trust in and understand this portion of scripture, why would you go to some fallible human talk? Like, let's just go trust only what my pastor says, but not trust some other portion of scripture. That's foolish. Don't you want an inerrant word to help guide you into a portion of inerrant word that you don't get? And so let's go back to Westminster Confession. Here's how they put it. This is chapter 1.9. The infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore... When there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? So some people, when they read the Bible, they find some passage in the Bible that they don't understand, and then they use that passage that they don't understand, and then they use that, that, that weird passage, and then, they, then they go in and they corrupt their understanding of the rest of the past, which makes clear sense. I don't understand that. That's, it doesn't make sense. That why would you take a passage which is obscure and difficult to understand and then use that to color all the other portions of Scripture? That makes sense. That's backwards. The right way to do it is to know what's clear, and then in light of what's clear, then you interpret was unclear. That's what I did. That's, so do you notice? I did that with verse 29. I threw out that potential interpretation because all kinds of the portions of Scripture will just say, no, that can't be right. And that's how you can operate too. And in fact, the reason why lots of, and so now I'm, I'm going to kind of get on you here for a little bit, okay, or a lot of you. A lot of the reason why a lot of you can't do this is because you haven't read the Bible. <laughs> you haven't read enough of the Bible. If you've read the Bible, you know what will happen? You will know what parts of the script portion is clear and what parts don't make sense. That's it, at least to you. And you will find out that lots and lots of the scripture is pretty clear. It makes sense. You may not like some of it. You're, it may go, oh, wow, that's kind of weird, but I know what it's saying, okay? You're, you may be shocked at some of the things it says. I mean, really, you'll be shocked at some of the things. It's like, wow, 
you can really get it on with your wife like that? The Bible is like, yes. <laughs> That's in the Bible. That's not unclear in the Bible. It's very clear in the Bible, okay? So, like, just you may be shocked at some of the things that it says, but it's clear. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to do is if you have never read, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and you've never read the Bible all the way through, it's time. (laughs) And if you haven't read, and if you did read the Bible all the way through, but it was a long time ago, like maybe when you were 15 years old or something like that, you, you know, after a retreat, after a, your pastor really stuck it to you at the retreat, and you're, okay, I'm going to go read the Bible, and you got, you got serious, and you read the whole Bible that year, and of course now it's, it's, it's years later, and you, you've forgotten it. You know what? Not only because you've forgotten it, but because you're older and more mature now, the Bible will say different things to you. You see the world differently now. It's a good time, right? Why don't you read the whole Bible? Okay, you know what? If you can't even read the whole Bible, how about we just read the whole New Testament? <laughs> It's 27 books. It's not that hard. You can do it in one summer, easily. Easily. (laughs) Or how about, if not the whole New Testament, how about at least all the important books? Because the whole Bible is inspired and errant, but it's not all, content is not all equal. It's just like a paper. You know, the the thesis paragraph is more important than, you know, paragraph number four, point number two, supporting Roman numeral number two. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) And so, sort of like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, that's more important than, than, say, Hosea. (laughs) Okay, Romans, 1 Corinthians, the Pauline letters are more important than, say, you know, like, you know, some, you know, obscure psalm that you don't understand, okay? So how about at least read those books? You can read maybe about a dozen books of the Bible, and you can start getting to the core meaning of the whole Bible. Literally, about a dozen books. If you don't want to read 20, so if you don't want to read 66... Try 27, <laughs> 27, how about a dozen? <laughs> and you can start to do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. So I'm hoping this, hope this will encourage you, okay? Principle number two. The Bible is a book from God revealing himself. <laughs> I already said this. It's about revealing himself, not just facts about himself, not just knowledge about himself. But it's also other things, too. Um, there are lots of really like knowledgeable people about the Bible, but you know what they're knowledgeable about? They're knowledgeable about its history. <laughs> they study it like a history book. Or they study it like a literary book. Um, I had a professor when I was an undergraduate, graduate level, graduate level English professor, expert on the content of the Bible. She was not a Christian. And I remember listening to this professor. I was taking a graduate level class on the Bible as literature. She was an expert on the Bible as literature. She totally didn't know Jesus, okay? And um, you know what? That's, that's great for her that she learned the Bible, and the Bible has great literature, but that's not what it's about for. It's not literature. It's nice. It's good literature, some of it, okay? And it's good poetry, and it's got good wisdom, and it tells you about money, and it tells you about parenting. It tells you about creation. There's even some good stuff about science, but like the, there's like certain kind of fundamentalist Christians who like go through the Bible, and then they try to treat it like a science book. I mean, like, come on, <laughs> Come on, that's just nonsense stuff. It doesn't mean you can't get real science out of it, but that's not what it's for. Understand what the Bible is for and use it for what it's for. It's to meet God. It's to know God. It reveals God. It's to meet Him. So God is the central, number three, God is the central character of the Bible and He's the central subject matter of the Bible. So again, so you're reading a a portion about Moses. So it seems like Moses is the main character. Not true. God is the main character. You're reading a passage about David. 
David is the main character. No, God is the main character. God is always the main character. Always, everywhere. He's everywhere in the Bible. Even these people go against war against these people. These people oppress these people. This guy raped this woman. You know what? God is still there. His opinions about it, his sovereignty over it, his wisdom on it, you know, so you see some evil thing happening about it. God is still there. And the Bible is trying, it's like God hangs over there saying like, yeah, God hates this stuff. See, God is the central character of the Bible. He's the real hero in the Bible. And he's a central subject matter of the Bible. So no matter what the Bible is talking about, some weird thing about how you're supposed to handle mildew in Leviticus, you're like, if you get mildew, you have to do this law. You're like, what the heck does this have? Anything does anything. Somehow, someway, you know what? Still, God is a part of that, okay? It shows something about the character and love of God for his people at that time, okay? So God is a central subject matter of the Bible. Number four, Okay. The ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Christ is his title, not his last name. The Christ. You know what the Bible actually says? John chapter 1 says that there's a word. And the word was with God and the word was God and he came to the flesh. So that the thing that God wanted to say to the world wasn't even just a word. It was a word that became flesh. It was a person. How do you know God most ultimately is Jesus? Is Jesus. You want to know why Christians are so fixated and wild about Jesus? You know why we are always about Jesus? You want to know God? If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. And you want to know the ultimate revelation and the fullness of God? You must know Jesus. You must know everything the Bible shows about Jesus. You must know Jesus himself. And then you'll know the word of God who is God. Okay? And let's go to the final one. I'll close and I'll close up my message. The gospel is the central key to understanding the whole Bible. And this is a really, you know, a lot of, a, a lot of, of secular skeptics today, they don't really know the gospel. They just approach the Bible, and it just seems like a whole bunch of strange things. And then they find some weird verse here, and they find a weird verse here, and they pit it against each other. See, it's a nonsensical book. No, it's only nonsense to you because you don't even know what the central thing is. You don't understand this real key. There's a key to the meaning. It's the message about who is Jesus. There are people who accept that Jesus is the, is the most revel important revelation of God, but then their understanding of Jesus is totally wrong, like, let's say, Mormons. Muslims adore Jesus too, but their understanding of Jesus is wrong. Why? Because the real central message about who is Jesus and what he's done for us, it's the gospel. And let me tell you just a quick summary of the Bible. The Old, the Old Testament is 39 books. And you know what the 39 books is? is that it's about human beings flailing to figure out life without God. That's pretty much what 39 books are. <laughs> the first couple chapters is God made anything beautiful and great, and he loved us and made us glorious in his image. And then we put a big, fat middle finger to his face, and we started to die. It's called sin. Defining life, shaping life, seeking life without God. <laughs> without God is the very center. If God is just a... He's sort of out there in the suburbs. He's sort of like a side of salad. <laughs> He's like one leaf of one side of salad for you. Then that's not life. You're going to die. God is life. <laughs> and for 39 books, God is sh he's sending, I'm coming after you. I love you. 
I long for you. And he keeps sending people. He sends an Abraham, and he sends a Moses, and he sends a kings. He sends prophets, and he sends priests. And you know what people generally do to these special people? We generally kill them. Because <laughs> we don't want to hear what they say, especially when they say, I'm speaking from God. Just like, who are you? Who are you? Are you? Like, well, we, we'd rather just think this about God. And you know what? That's always going to happen. We don't want to actually hear a real authoritative word from God. Because deep down we long for him, but also deep down we hate him. Deep down we want to be our own saviors, but deep down we need him. And at a certain point, it's only when you re deep realize you're dying. <laughs> that the way you're running your life, through all the wisdom in the world, the greatest wisdom in the whole world, that this isn't actually from God, it's just going to land you dead. It's going to suck out life. And it's causing death every day, like despair and unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and all this stuff that's getting, just the stuff I talked about recently. And only when you can come and start to approach the Bible from that place, now you're ready to receive the Spirit of God and you can see the person that God has sent and hear the message that is the real key of the whole Bible, which is the good news, the great good news, that all these people that are wrecking their whole life with their wretchedness and their lies and believing that their truths, which are really just their lies, I'm going to believe in my truth, okay, which means you're just going to believe your lies. Okay? Instead, the real truth has come, the real word of God has come, and it's in Christ. And he didn't just come to tell us stuff. He came to give us a word about his action, by his person to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to die the death we deserve to die, and to give a new life which could never die, <laughs> and to give us a life which is life with a capital L pulsating and eternal, and a hope which can defeat all sin and death and fear and suffering and hardship, can even defeat the devil as I taught you last week. That's the gospel, and that's Jesus. And the Bible is here the whole Bible is here to take you to God, to take you to Christ, so you can take you to God. Brothers and sisters, read the Bible, please. <laughs> read the Bible. And I hope you don't think of it as like a chore, a oh, religious duty, let me read the Bible. Okay? You know, you, you hear that? You know what that is? That's like the devil. <laughs> That's the demonic spirit who's already taught you a lie that it's a chore. But if the Bible is not a religious book, it's not a science book, it's not a chore, it's really the gateway, not to know about God, but to know Him. There'll be times when you read the Bible and you go, I don't get it. Mm. I'll ask my pastor. <laughs> Good. <laughs> or, you know what else you can do? You can look for other places in the Bible and it'll be, the thing that you don't understand will become clear. You can start practicing some of these things I taught you. But there'll be times when you read the Bible and here's what will happen. Something you never saw before or you read this passage 10 times before, you never saw it before, and the, the verse will light up. It's, I mean, this was literally happens. It's like, it's, it's wild. And, and you're going, and you will see God like you never saw him before. And then this will happen. Maybe this is some weird little piece of psychology, and this is just, like, you know, this is just some weird little thing that happens in my head, and this is what human beings do. Because this is human beings and their weird little psychology and little like, neurons are firing in my brain, just making me think that the, the, the verse lit up and the verse just lit up, and, but it didn't really light up. It's just all some stupid stuff that happened in my head, right? But, but there's another part of you going, 
but this makes me see the beauty of God and it makes me want to actually worship him at this exact moment and it makes me want to obey him and love him. And I actually feel like maybe he's in the room with me right now helping me and loving me and encouraging me. Oh, but that can't be happening. It is happening. It is happening. That little thing about the neurons are firing up and this is just some little psychology that's happening to me. You know what that is? That's the devil. <laughs> coming from your first-person voice, you telling yourself the devil's message to you. But when in faith, you know what's happening? The Holy Spirit is lighting the sucker up. The sucker called the Bible. So you can meet Jesus, and you would know God and be loved by God. And this happens. If you go to the scriptures to meet God, go in faith, go in expectation, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, Start searching the scriptures. You have a question about the Bible? Search, search the scriptures and find other places that may answer this exact same question. Well, what about sex? Okay, well, let's look at all the passages about sex. What about money? Well, let's all look at passages about money. How do I become a better husband? It's all there too. How do I get out of dark depression? It's there. He has a word for you. He has a word for you. Because he loves you. Let's go to the table of the Lord. <clears throat>